Genesis 3, 1 to 24. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat any of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then both their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorn and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also 
of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Hey everybody, uh, welcome. Uh, really glad you're here. I love uh, that you're here. Thanks for coming. All right, we have a theme uh, for this year. And our theme for 2024 is that this is going to be a year of listening. A year of listening for God, a year of listening to God. In these first four weeks, this first four-week series, we're taking uh, from the book of Genesis. And we've made it to Genesis chapter 3, where we hear a voice uh, for the first time that's not the voice of God. And uh, let me just catch up the speed so you know where we're at. Uh, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, uh, God creates all that is. He creates this gigantic universe. It's like this huge nursery with one thing in mind. And the one thing in mind is those who created in his image, human beings, you and me. And he takes uh, Adam and Eve, our first parents, and he, he rests them in the garden, in that nursery, in a, a fully formed garden of Eden with uh, grown trees, with ripe fruit, and then he gives them all of it. He gives them the garden to tend and to cultivate. He gives them dominion over everything that he has made, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the beasts that roam on the ground. It is just breathtaking, all that he gives Adam and Eve. It'd be like if, uh, if you uh, suddenly found out that you inherited a vast estate of immeasurable worth, like an uber-rich uncle decided to just give you an estate, and he says, I just want you to have it. It's yours. Feel free to use anything. Use the pool and the sauna. Use the tennis court, which doubles as a pickleball court for those of you who love pickleball, right? A fully stocked kitchen, a workout room, home theater. All the bedrooms are magnificent. Use all of them if you want. And then your uncle says, but there's one room that's still my room. Just one room. That's my room. Don't use that room, right? That's Genesis 1 and 2. And now we've made it to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, if we continue with that analogy, it's like a stranger comes up to you when you're at your uncle's estate. And he says, ah, oh, I understand your uncle gave you this estate, but you can't use anything. They won't let you use the pool or the sauna. They won't let you use any of the bedrooms. What would you say? You'd just say, you'd laugh. You'd say, you you crazy? You don't know anything about my uncle. You don't know what he's given us, what we've been using, what we're allowed to do or not allowed to do. I told you two weeks ago that Adam and Eve were swimming in a sea of yeses with just one no. They were swimming in a sea of yeses and just one no. All right, here are my three points that I want to pull out of this passage. Uh, I want to talk about the voice, the poison, and the antidote. 
the voice, the poison, and the antidote. First, the voice. So in Genesis chapter 3, we are introduced to a voice that is not God's voice. It's a competing voice. It's actually uh, Satan. He's not named in this passage, but we know him from the rest of the Bible. Also uh, called the devil, which literally means uh, the deceiver or liar. All of your problems, all of the pain that you have ever experienced can be traced back to this moment. When Adam and Eve listened to the voice, and we've been listening to this voice ever since. And what's interesting is that uh, the voice doesn't actually ask Eve to do anything. All the voice starts with is it's very subtle. The voice starts with an insinuation, with uh, a question, something that is uh, not true, that the voice knows is not true. The voice starts with an exaggeration. You know, I've always uh, thought that exaggeration is not good. Like when you exaggerate, uh, you lose credibility. If you are somebody who is prone to exaggeration, uh, then people you're talking to are always doing fractions in their head. They're trying to decide how much of your story they're going to believe, if anything at all. So I've, I've known it was bad, but I've kind of changed. I think it's, it may be much more dangerous than I thought. And I say that because all the evil in the world began with an exaggeration. Exaggeration is a medium that evidently Satan likes to use, like, like a painter might like to use a particular color. Exaggeration is something that Satan loves to use. So if you are prone to exaggeration, I would just say be careful. Because Satan can use that to get a foothold in your life and to wreak havoc in your life because he used it to create a foothold into this world and has wreaked havoc in this world. So Satan uses this exaggeration to create a, a feeling in Eve she had never felt before. Just a twinge of a feeling. And that, that feeling was self-pity. Not a lot of self-pity, just a tiny bit. Because what the voice says basically is this. It, is, is there anything, any way God has made your life harder than it should be, than it could be? Is there anything that God has withheld from you that you might want? You deserve to think about that. Is there anything at all? And Eve says, you know, there is one thing. Well, actually, th this is what she says. I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, uh, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. What the voice says in its exaggeration was that God seems terribly unreasonable, don't you think? And Eve says, no, not terribly unreasonable, just a little bit 
unreasonable. And Eve actually exaggerates. I don't know if you caught it, if you read, read chapter two, God says, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. She says that God said, you shall not eat, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So first, the voice will lie to us, then we'll begin to lie to ourselves. You know, she says he's just a little unreasonable. Sin entered the world in, through such a small window. And sin enters into your life and mine through such a small window. Now, I know I told you that the third point of this message is going to be the antidote to the poison that was introduced into the world and into our souls through this voice. But Eve could have avoided all this with just some gratitude, don't you think? I mean, if, if Satan had said that, has God really said you can't eat from any of the trees? If she had responded, are you kidding me? I can eat from this tree and that tree. I can eat from that tree over there. See that tree weighed on, I ate of that yesterday. I can eat from any of these trees. What are you talking about? And look at the animals. I love these animals. This animal here is one of my pets. I call it a moose. It's magnificent, right? I sleep leaning up against the lion because I like the way it purrs when I'm falling to sleep. She could have said all of that. Listen, you can avoid a lot of temptation in your life with gratitude. Gratitude is great. Self-pity will kill you. Self-pity creates a soil for Satan to play in. And self-pity is that idea that, you know what? I know, I know I'm supposed to be thankful. Self-pity is a refusal to be grateful for what God has done or is doing. It's, it's an inability to see what God is doing for you. And instead you focus on what God is not doing. And you end up saying, you know what? I, I know, I know God's done a lot, but life is just hard. You don't understand. I mean, I'm trying to do the best I can, but I just keep getting hurt. And God just, I, I just don't know. Right. So the voice begins with this exa exaggeration. And oh, one of the things too that struck me is sometimes my inability to trust God is because of my inability to mistrust my own judgment about how I think my life should go which is kind of crazy for me to think that I should, that I have that kind of wisdom to know exactly how my life should go. And I want to tell God about it because I was watching my nephew on TV. My, my nephew is a, a pro baseball pitcher. He's trying to make it, you know, in the major leagues. So every game is super important, you know, so I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat watching him. This was last year. And uh, he had bases loaded and uh, one out, which is a terrible position, you know, for a pitcher. And I was just going, Jonathan, man, you pitched your way right into trouble. Come on, you got to get out of this, right? And uh, he had, I know if you're not a baseball fan, uh, tough, sorry. I, yeah. But the batter uh, that, was, what, that was up, the count was two balls and two strikes. And then Jonathan threw just a killer pitch. He buckled the guy's knees. The guy was like like went like that and realized that Jonathan had fooled him. And he started to walk to the dugout. His bat went down. He started to walk to the dugout because he knew he'd struck out. And the ump called it a ball, right? And, 
and I was livid. I was going, are you, I'm yelling at the TV, are you kidding me? You know, and they show that little box where they show where the pitch goes, and it was obviously a strike, right? And, and I was going, how can you do that? Because I knew, I knew that to, for Jonathan to have bases loaded in a three and two count now on a batter with one out is, is a terrible position, much worse than having bases loaded with two outs and a new batter up to bat. Next pitch, the guy hit into a double play, and Jonathan was out of the inning. I remember going, I was going, are you, woo, that was good, that's good, right? And I think, if I can't figure out something as simple as baseball, how in the world do I think that I could know best how my life should go? So the voice starts by saying an exaggeration. Isn't God being unreasonable? Then the voice moves to an out-and-out lie. And the lie is this. Obedience to God will limit you. Disobedience will free you. Obedience will limit you. Disobedience will free you. A little disobedience will lead to more life, not less life. And Eve listens to the voice and she believes the voice and she reaches out for the fruit that God said, don't eat of this, and she ate of it. And that brings me to my second point, the poison. Poison begins to kind of move into our souls the moment we begin to doubt the goodness of God. The moment we begin to doubt the goodness of God, which is why we started out this series focusing on the goodness of God. Because if you get that, you're much safer. But once you begin to doubt God's goodness, it can lead to all kinds of things. Uh, it can lead to intellectual questions. Like, I don't know if you've ever known somebody who uh, thinks this, or maybe you think this, where I've talked to a lot of people who said, you know, I, I would believe in God if the world wasn't such a wreck, if there wasn't so much evil in the world. And what they're saying is, my standard of goodness is, is a little bit higher than God's. If God ever catches up to me, and his goodness is as good as my sense of goodness, then I might believe in him. It can lead to emotional issues. Some of our anxiety is because we believe that, sometimes I believe that uh, I can love me better than God can love me. And if God's love for me ever like equaled how much I love myself, then we'd be on the same page, right? So anytime that happens, then poison, you know, I, I was uh, watching an old sermon uh, of myself, you know, that's, um, preachers do that sometimes. If you were a, a football player, it's like watching game film. You try to watch and see if you can get better. But in this, uh, this sermon I was watching, it was on the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus uh, says this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And what, God was, or what Jesus was saying there is that if the way you see God is clear, is right, you see God as good, then your whole world is full of light. Your chances of making good decisions really high. 
But if your view of God is distorted or wrong, then your whole world will go dark. And it's just a crapshoot of whether you're going to make any good decisions or terrible decisions. Right? And that's part of the poison starts to seep in when we begin to doubt the goodness of God. But then it goes further. In that same passage in the Sermon on the Mount, after he says that, he goes right into a thing where he says, uh, no one can serve two masters. He will either love the one and hate the other and cling to the one or despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Such an interesting thing to say. I remember sitting with a couple that were engaged and uh, they were both Christians. So they both said that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and they were living together. And I, so I said, so uh, tell me, you're living together. Tell me, what do, what do you think Jesus thinks about that? Because I didn't know if they knew. And they said, well, yeah, we know Jesus doesn't want us to live together. I said, okay. Then why, why are you living together? And they said, economics. We can't afford two places. It just makes sense to live in one place. And so I said, oh, okay, okay. So let's personify that. So Jesus is over here, and Jesus says, don't live together. Mr. Money is over here, and he says, you should live together. And you're going to say, just this one time, this one time, we're going to listen to Mr. Money. Because we believe that not listening to Jesus, disobeying Jesus, is the way to have a little more life. That's the poison. And you can personify all kinds of things. You can have Jesus over here, Mr. Pleasure over here. You can have Jesus over here. You can have Mr. Fear over here. You can have Jesus over here. You can have, uh, like Jesus says, you know, forgive those who hurt you. You can have Mr. Hurt over here saying, I, I won't forgive. I can't forgive. Okay, I think I've personified enough. <laughs> right? But that's, the, that's what happens. And that's when the, the poison is really full-blown when you're listening completely to somebody else. You know, Zach said it last week. If you reject God's authority, it doesn't mean you don't have authority in your life. It just means you're listening to someone else. James says this in James chapter 1. He says, uh, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That word desire uh, is the Greek word epithumia which thumia means desire, epi means, is a prefix that means an over-desire, something you want too much. Uh, and he says, uh, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. What that says is that when you desire something, and you, you desire it so much, you put it in a place where it's not intended to be. Like money is supposed to be a good thing in your life. You make it the thing you listen to over Jesus, it becomes a thing that will lead to death. Your children are a good thing in your life. If children become more important than Jesus, then they're going to lead to death. Your marriage is a good thing. Your career is a good thing. All those things, right? And this is what entered into our world what Satan did was to say, are you sure that you can trust God? 
he seems unreasonable. And the lie was, if you disobey him, it will lead to more life, not less life. He's not really for you. He's against you. And once that poison enters our system, eventually we end up saying, the face of God is not enough for me. I will find something somewhere else. And it says that Eve saw that the fruit was good and she reached out and she took it. And she did that in hopes of finding something that would fill her up. And instead it emptied her out. That's the poison. All right, and then we get to the antidote. So the voice introduces the lie, the lie introduces the poison into her system, and then the antidote. So Adam and Eve, they, they eat of the fruit, and they immediately experience shame and fear, and they hide from God. Now, be clear, like what Adam and Eve did was they decided we will not trust God anymore. We're rejecting him, and we're going to play for this other team. We're going over here. I don't know if you've ever had somebody look at you and say, I don't trust you anymore. I'm going to leave you. But it's terribly painful. I'll just be honest with you. It's one of the, the pain, painful things about being a pastor. Like whenever somebody leaves the church, I'm just, just talking to you like we're in our living room. Whenever somebody leaves the church, it always feels like that to me. Like they're saying, hmm, we don't trust you anymore, so we're leaving you. And it really hurts. And I dread going to a place where I might see them out, you know, out in town or something. And I just say that because God, that's what Adam and Eve did to God. And God, instead of letting them go, what happens is, that, is this. This is verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? That is so unbelievably loving that God began, the first thing God does when Adam and Eve reject him and they hide from him is God begins a search and rescue mission for them. And I just want you to know that whoever you are, whatever brought you here, whatever made you listen to this or watch this, God searches for you. And that just blows up the lie that God doesn't care about you, doesn't want what's best for you. Because a search and rescue mission for anything that's lost is always expensive. But there's never been a search and rescue mission in the history of the world that was more costly than this one. Because this one cost Jesus everything. And really, Zach's going to cover this next week. Uh, next week's going to be the best, I think, sermon of the series, so don't miss next week because it's the, the best thing about the gospel. But I want to show you one more thing about this particular passage. In verse 15, this is called uh, the Proto-Evangelum by theologians. It's the beginning of the gospel right here in chapter 3, verse 15. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. When God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between 
your offspring and her offspring. He's not saying that between snakes and women. He's saying between the voice, the lie, and people who will no longer believe the lie. What God is doing in verse 15, he's declaring war on evil. And then he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a new humanity. Two, there are going to be two humanities. There are going to be, there's going to be one humanity that will believe the lie. And Jesus in John chapter 8 is talking to the religious leaders of the time. And he says, you are of your father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning. And you're his children. Right? What he's saying is you belong to this side. But then he says, I'm going to raise up a whole group of people that will not believe the lie. That will not believe that disobeying me is the way to life. That will not believe that I'm not good, that I don't love them. And the reason that they will believe that I love them, will want to obey me, is because of Jesus. And that's next week. So, the voice, the competing voice to God comes in, tells the lie. Poison enters the system. God decides to not give up but to search and rescue. So this is going to be a year of listening. A listening to God, a listening for God. Because there are other voices out there, but God's voice is the only one that leads to life. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, uh, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for uh, your deep love uh, for us that you show over and over again. Uh, you so, showed it from the very beginning, but then you showed it even more in giving us your son, Jesus. And I know, I know that to the extent uh, that I believe the lies about you is the extent that I will introduce poison into my system. And to the extent that I believe in your love through Jesus, and obey you, then I will experience the healing that I long for. So I pray for all of us that we will do that. Thank you. Thanks for being such a good God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.